Today is a very special day because we are starting... We're starting our study in the book of Deuteronomy, right? And, and if, how many of you guys were blessed by, by the Joshua series? You can just raise your hand because I didn't turn my head when Joel asked that question. That's right, right? Now, here's the thing. Studying Deuteronomy after Joshua is a bit like watching season two first, right? You've watched season two, you know what happens later, you've seen what happens to the cast, you saw some new fellas show up, you don't know who is in the prequel, and then after you finish season two, then you go say like, whoa, I need to catch up on season one. This was quite good. Let me catch up on season one. And that's what we are here for. Okay, so today is E1, S1, and we are here to catch up on the overview of Deuteronomy. I'm taking this one, but tomorrow for the third service, Pastor Chu will be taking it as well. We are both sharing with you an overview. I have a sneaky suspicion that both our sermons might be quite similar in spirit. Um, and then in some of the details, uh, we might find ourselves emphasizing slightly different things. Now, let's break into it. Now, here's the thing. Uh, let, me, let, me just show you, let me just show you a thing or two about Deuteronomy. Let's go into the first. first I'm clicking my own slides. Yep. Okay. Now, Deuteronomy um, is structured, okay, in its beautiful way, okay? Can I say this? I love how Deuteronomy is structured. So, as an overview, today's sermon will be structured around the Deuteronomy structure, okay? And the structure of Deuteronomy is like this. It opens and closes with the same type of thing, okay? And you can think of it as the outer frame of Deuteronomy, okay? The outer frame um, uh, covers chapters 1 to 3 where it ends with them talking about wanting to go uh, uh, across the Jordan. They're going to cross the Jordan. And you can actually swing from chapter 3 all the way and continue reading in chapter 31. You can like skip from 3 to 31 and the story almost picks itself up there. Okay, so Deuteronomy is structured with an opening and a closing that mirror each other. That's why you will see the A and the A star at the top, okay? They mirror each other. That's the outer frame. Now, from this outer frame, I want to show you today that there is a liberty from the lessons of the past, okay? There is a liberty that comes from a backward gaze and from looking into the past so that you can move forward. Now, this year, the theme of our church is move forward, take the future. But I believe Deuteronomy is going to show us that we cannot move forward until we settle the past that we cannot take the future until we have learned from the days from before. And so there is liberty, much liberty, from the lessons of our forefathers before us. That's the opening section of Deuteronomy. The second part of Deuteronomy is, I told you it's a mirror, right? It's a mirror image, okay? So chapters 4 to 11 and chapters 27 to 30, it's like the inner frame. And in this inner frame, you go into the details of the heart of what God is calling His people into. So in the opening inner frame, okay, you have the great exhortation. That's when Moses goes into the, that amazing 
like, like uh, it's, it's like a sermon, right? He just preaches and he shares with the people of Israel kind of like his last week before he climbs up Mount Nebo and then he dies on that mountain with the promised land as a vantage point, right? And, or, or rather, as, from the vantage point of the promised land. And, he, and in this B, right, this 4 to 11, the centerpiece of this section is the Shema Israel, right? And the Shema Israel, I'll get to it later, is the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, right? And then later, Jesus will say, and to love your neighbour as you love yourself, right? Now, that is the central call, to love the Lord your God. And then you can actually read until chapter 11 and swing straight into 27 and you continue from there as well. Why? Because the continuation from this point, okay, is that now... God invites them into a covenant. God invites them to cut covenant with Him. You love the Lord? You really want to choose? You really want to choose the Lord over all the other? There, is a, there are a lot of options out there. You can choose all those other options, right? Remember, even Joshua said something very similar, right? You want to, you, you want to worship whatever you want to worship? It's up to you. Uh, as for me and my house, remember Joshua said that? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? could Joshua have the vocabulary for that? It's because once upon a time, not too long prior to that, Joshua had already been brought to a point of decision. And Moses, his father, said to him, his spiritual father, said this very same thing to him, right? I lay before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose this day whom you will serve. That's the, outer, the inner frame at the end, the covenant ceremony. So there is the outer frames, where God bids you to look backwards so that you can move forward. And then there is the inner frame where God articulates what He wants from you, your heart, your whole heart. And through that whole heart, you make covenant with Him. With your whole heart, you make covenant with Him. And then the middle section, okay, so before I jump ahead, right, the whole uh, uh, orange section, right, the inner frame speaks about an obedience that comes from an overflow. Okay, so I'll get into this later. An obedience that comes from an overflow. Not an obedience that comes from fear. Not an obedience that comes from being told you have to be obedient. But an obedience that comes from an overflow of the joy of your salvation. But I'm not going to jump ahead of myself because we have a middle section to look at. The middle section is the central core of the whole Deuteronomy. It is the place where all the laws reside. Deuteronomy, by the way, comes from a combined word, right, of deutero and nomos. Deutero means the second. Nomos means the law. The second, the Second time the law is being given. It's not that there are two competing laws. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that now He's giving you the law one more time. The second reading of the law. The second time you're being exposed to the law. Something like that. So my friends, you're going to have to read Deuteronomy twice. <laughs> you're gonna have to, because, because you're going to have to have two impressions upon you. The way the law had two impressions upon them. I'm kidding. You're going to read it more than twice, right? Um, but let me zoom into this little section and show you that when you get into the middle part of the laws, you're going to see laws pertaining to worship 
and how Israel is supposed to worship their God. And then you're going to see laws that govern leadership and what, what God expects of His leaders. That's a bit like an ELM session. And then there's going to be laws that, that govern your community life. And then chapter 26, right at the end of this little intersection, is a summary of all this or a conclusion to all this. And from this middle section, I want to show you that the light... The law is supposed to bring out light. The law is supposed to shed light not just unto Israel, but shed light to the whole world, all the nations around them. This, my friends, is Deuteronomy in a nutshell. And so, if you're online and you've got your, you've got your screen, uh, a print screen button right there, this is the moment. Like, if you want to print screen any slide, you want to screen cap any, any moment of this sermon, this is the moment. Go! Bang! Right? Go screen cap this one uh, if you are... If, I can see some of you holding up your phones and, and taking photos as well, right? This is what Deuteronomy is all about. Now, I'm going to start, you guys, back with the outer frame. Okay, back with the outer frame, there is a looking backwards so that we can move forwards. There is liberty to come out of the lessons of the past. Or in other words, Israel is asked to look back so that they can move forward. Now, now I want to be really honest with you, there is a way to look back that is not fruitful. There is a way to look back that is not helpful. But you know what, my friends? Errors come in pairs. Errors come in pairs. So sometimes we say, don't look back. Why? For two good reasons why sometimes you hear people saying, don't dwell on the past, right? Because when we dwell on the past, errors come in pairs. You can either revel in your past glories or you can wallow in your past failures. And neither of this is helpful. And neither of this is how God inspires His people through Moses to look back. Neither of that is it. So, so SIBKL, please don't dwell on the past if you're going to revel in your past glories. Don't. It's pointless. It's past, right? Your past glories are past, okay? SIBKL, please don't look back if you're going to wallow in your past failures. God does not want you to, to, to occupy either one of these extreme ends when you look in the past, okay? Are we good? But what, so what does God want us to do when we look back into the past? He wants us to remember that God gave the victory. And you know what? Maybe sometimes because of the XXX, the, those red things that we are so cautious about, we are, we, we, some of you might be a little bit too cautious about going back to review things from the past. Because every time you review things from the past, you are prone to reveling in past glories or you are prone to wallowing in failures. But God is saying, hey, you want to look back at your victories? i show you what's a redeemed way to look back at your victories. Look back and see me in your victories, then your head will not puff up. And then you will not grow prideful about those victories because you will know that the Lord was there delivering you into victory. And that's a good way to look back into the past, to remember that God gave victories. And we see that. We see that because He got them. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead of myself. Let, let me run through the green ticks. You look back into the past to learn from your failures. 
So you don't wallow in it, you learn from it. And you look back into it to dissect where it went wrong. Most of the time for Israel, it was because they abandoned and neglected the Lord. That led to a lot of failures. You know? But for us, on today, in, today, in today's world, when you look back at your past, take some time, take stock of those moments where everything fell apart and what happened there. Not to wallow, but to learn. And the last pick I have given you is to remember our foundations. Remember our foundations. Why? Because when you look at the way in which Deuteronomy looks back at the past, in chapter 1, you see that God reminds them immediately of their rebellion at Kadesh Barnea. And this was a time when they were literally so close. Gosh, they were so close, so close to going across into the promised land. And then they saw the grapes that were so big and they saw the fruit that was so big and they saw the whatever, everything that was so big coming in from the promised land. And they said, oh my goodness, these giants, if their grapes are this size, I scale the grape to the man. I'm like, I dare not go in, no. Sure die, or I'm like an ant. And God says, no, you're not an ant. Even if you're an ant, I'll give victory to ants. And then they say, sure, Mo. And God says, of course, go. Be strong, be courageous. And they chicken out. And God reminds them. God's not shy to remind them of this. Huh? He's not shy. He's not like, hey, uh, I'm so shy, scared their self-esteem. You know, he straight up, Deuteronomy 1, he says, remember Kadesh Barnea. Remember your failure there. Remember your rebellion. Remember your stubborn hearts, how you didn't listen to me, right? And then he reminds them in Deuteronomy 1 and 2 of the consequences of their rebellion. How the whole generation had to wander around like lost souls, wandering around in a desert with no, with no direction, no sense, no aim, no target, just wandering around lost in a desert for a while, for not quite just a while, but wandering around until an entire generation had to die before God will say, okay, time's up. And then he does this. He reminds him of the victory over king, the kings of Og and Sihon, right? And he reminds them, through this, he reminds them that, hey, I was the one who gave you the victory. So just because, just because you're wandering around lost and you got a couple of victories doesn't mean that you're all that. It's still me. It's always been me. It was going to be me. It still is going to be me. I, the Lord, Yahweh, am your deliverer. And then he says, he, he, he starts laying down a command against idolatry. A command against that. Why? He's reminding them about their foundations. Remember? Their foundations. When, when, Moses, when Moses gave them the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, he already lays it down. Have no carved images. Why? Because they are entering into a land that is rife with idol worship. They are entering into a land that worships every other god that is not Yahweh. Right? And so, he commands them and reminds them of their strong foundations. Don't Worship the idols there. He reminds them again of the Ten Commandments going all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 5. There is a strong element of looking back into the things that had happened so that they can stand strong, be well reminded, be well girded so that they can step forward and not fall into the pitfalls of either absorbing whatever they see or getting puffed up with their own pride or worse still, forgetting the roots from where they came. It's so important. Now church, I'm going to put this before you. I'm going to put this before you. We, st we are now at the end of February in 2022. 
And we've put away some good two plus, almost three years now of this weird lockdown COVID pandemic thing. Before we can step into endemic stage where we normalize things, where we would throw off our masks and say, oh yeah, everything's back to normal, it's just like a flu, I'm just going to have a scratchy throat for one, two days and I'll be fine. Now no need to self-quarantine if you, are, if you um, are a close contact, blah, blah, blah. Before you step into that, that new, new, <laughs> old normal, a re-normal, right? Before you step back into that, have you taken stock? of how the last three years has exposed for you what kind of person you are when you are placed in an unnatural environment? Have you taken stock of the, of the way in which you have wilted? And I'm sure all of us at one point or another started to wilt in the midst of this. And take stock of it. What caused you to fall apart? What caused you to be strong? What caused you? Did you remember the strong things? Did you remember that when God gave us victories at the 25th anniversary uh, uh, just before or, or at, at, at Malam Pentecostal just before, before that or in all the seasons of our church life just before, before, before that? Who gave us those victories? And what were the foundations upon, we, upon which we stood so that we, could, we can stand on them again so that never will we stand on any other rock? Take stock. Look back, but fruitfully. Look back, not wastefully. Look back fruitfully. That is one of the calls of the book of Deuteronomy. Look back fruitfully. Learn, review, and don't make the same mistakes as you step into new terrain. And my friends, this is very important for us because we're, not only have we just gone through Joshua, but before us, before us, upon in our lives is unoccupied territory. Over the last three years, there are relationships that we have neglected and that is unoccupied territory. And there are opportunities for work, for projects, for whatever it is, for community, things that is unoccupied. It's a barren wasteland waiting for someone to occupy it. And my friends, as life so-called goes back to normal, we're going to go out and occupy. Not very differently from how in the book of Joshua, they went out there into a barren, not quite barren wasteland, but a wasteland nonetheless, to occupy. And every single one of us is going to enter into territories where the Lord says, get back in. Relationships that have been neglected, get back in. Opportunities, get back in. Work things, get back in. Get back in. You have not talked to your neighbours, or maybe you have. Get back in. You've not. You've been. You've been not uh, uh, contributing in your schools, in your communities, in your whatever it is. Get back in. But as you get back in, remember from whence you came. Remember from whence you came. Now that's the first point. The second point of of the book of Deuteronomy is that obedience comes out from an overflow. Or in other words, Israel's salvation story is to be the basis for their law-keeping. Where do I see this? Well, when you look at this inner frame, when you look at the inner frame of Deuteronomy, both the call to love from the first section, 
the Shema Yisrael, you know, and also from the second, the B star, right? The B star, the covenant making ceremony. You're going to see that God delights in you cutting covenant out of love. He delights in you obeying His precepts out of the joy of your salvation, not out of begrudging obedience, not out of if I don't, I die. He takes, he takes no pleasure from you obeying out of a fear that you would die if you don't. And where do I see this? Step by step, I want to show you this. First, at the B, this first section here, the central point of this, the highlight of this, is the Shema Israel. Okay, and the Shema Israel goes like this. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And with this, God is essentially laying down that the very heart of the book of Deuteronomy is your affections. It's your loyalty. It's your faithfulness. The very heart of Deuteronomy, my friends, is your allegiance. Who do you stand with? Who do you stand for? Because you're going to enter a land with many different rivals for your affection and your allegiance. So I want to settle it here, says the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then look at this. Oh, I, love, I love this because it doesn't just stop there. And these words that I command you today shall be where? On your heart. And then he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So there's a generational element of this loving relationship. And shall talk of them, meaning talk of the, the, the laws that you're going to hear in the middle section, when you what? And then they give you a list. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and frontlets of your, between your eyes. You shall write them on a doorpost. And you know what? Frankly, all of these pictures of what you're going to do with this thing. Now, my fear is that you read these things and it becomes a distraction to you. My fear is that you get distracted. Huh? Why put in the, between the eye or, like very weird like that or, and then uh, must put on doorposts uh, or right and left or just the right side or just the left side and then you start thinking, um, uh, must put on the gate also, uh, but my auto gate, oh, it will move or, uh, then how? Uh, and then you start drilling down to all those details that makes this a distraction. You want to know what is the heart behind this section? Always and everywhere have the Shema Israel on your heart at all times in every place. That's the heart of it. So don't get distracted by the, by, by the proposal of where it ought to be. The fact that they put it there is essentially to say, have it on your hands so that every day when you work, you see it. Have it on your eyes so that in everything you see, you're seeing through it as a lens. Not, you can't see through this, but when you see the world, you see it through the lens of loving God with everything you are and with everything you have. And it's upon your gates and your fence so that every day when you walk in and out, it's a, it's a practical reminder for you. That, so let's, not, let, let's not get distracted uh, um, by the detailing. 
And by the way, Israel very, very clever at getting distracted by the detailing. Huh? That's how from Ten Commandments, they end up with 600 over sub-laws, by-laws, and they're just way, way getting ahead of themselves in getting distracted by the detailing. Sungai, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm so used to saying Sungai Blue Church. S-I-V-K-L. S-I-V-K-L. Don't get distracted by the detailing. But I want to show you this. Oh, I love this. What's coming up next? Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 25 is quickly becoming my favourite part of Deuteronomy, even though it is not so well known. Okay? Verse 20 says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws that Yahweh our God has commanded you, what will you tell them? What is the meaning of this? When your children and their children's children and their children's children ask, Actually, why all these laws? Huh? What's the meaning of all these laws? Huh? Why like that? Huh? Why like that? Huh? Why are you going to tell them? S-I-B-E-K-L. What are you going to tell them? I'm sure sometimes we've said this before, myself guilty as, uh, of it as well, because God said so. <laughs> right? right? Haven't we been guilty of that? Because God said so. That's why we do it. Uh, because if not, you die. Uh, right? Then we're parenting through fear. So we're either parenting through rules or parenting through fear. But actually, what does God ask us to tell them? Huh? You want to know, right? Because I left it there hanging, right? This is what you say to your son or daughter when they ask you, what is the meaning of the laws? Tell them, we were slaves, in, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. And, but He brought us out of there to bring us in and give that. Wow, why? Uh? Wait, wait, I thought He was going to give us a logical dot point explanation on why. Instead, He tells us grandfather's story. <laughs> S-I-B-K-L. When your children ask you why, tell them grandfather story. And you're saying, really? I, don't, I didn't think they liked my grandfather's story. And that's why they all say, I don't like your grandfather. And you know, you know what, church? We have grown in the 21st century to become a people who are so suspicious of stories. We think that stories are good as recreational things. So when you kick back, you can turn on your Disney Plus and your Netflix and you consume stories like nobody's business. And then when you go and do serious things, like, oh, I'm going to do proper serious things. And the place of proper serious things is a place of dot points and graphs and charts and data analytics and, uh, and extrapolation of, of, of findings. And that's serious things. That's what serious adults do. Stories, that's for after work hours. And you find that when God does the most serious things, He always tells stories, church. Loosen up. When God does the most serious things, He tells stories. How did Jesus teach His disciples? He told parables. He told tons of stories. And how is Israel supposed to help their children and their children's children understand all the meaning of the law? Tell them your salvation story. 
Tell them the reason why you are even alive today. Tell them the basis on which... The, the, not even basis, that's an argument. Tell them, tell them the story of how you were saved. Tell them the Exodus story. That's a good place to start. Tell them your Exodus story. About the days when Akong Ama were in Egypt and we were under the thumb of Pharaoh. And you know what? Don't be shy to tell stories. And maybe there's a problem that we're all too shy to tell stories. That's why the Ibu Ibu and the Bapak Bapaks of Barrio and Bakalalan never told their stories to their grandchildren and to their children. And today, we have to recover them by doing interviews with them because one whole generation don't know about their revival history. So sad. So sad. Friends, I'm a huge fan of stories. And if you want to know how SIBKL became the church it is today, you can ask your leader in church, hey, apparently there's this book called Our Story, His Story. Right? It's this white-coloured book that, that, that was published a few years ago, right, during our 25th anniversary. And you know, I know why I'm so passionate about that book, that the stories contained there tells you about the genesis of what God does in the midst of modern-day people. That's our Deuteronomy. That's our Deuteronomy. And so, my friends, don't be shy to tell your stories. You know, a few, about a month plus ago, uh, Kim, who heads up our leadership uh, development, you know, uh, in this church, uh, Kim uh, tapped me up and said, uh, Fergs, uh, I'm going to get you to teach uh, about evangelism. I'm like, really? Me of all people? Kim, why you ask me to teach on evangelism? Uh, we're going to do this on video and it's going to be on video uh, for I don't know how long, but everybody who's going to be trained to evangelize is going to pass through your video. Uh, 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 hashtag no pressure. I'm like, Kim, please don't do this, you know? Um, and then after a few days, I got back to her and I said, Kim, you know, uh, I'm not going to train evangelism uh, so that we can try to handpick the best story, the most persuasive story, and then rehearse, 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 and fit it into a three-minute testimony so that I can do it uh, um, uh, upon a chance meeting. I'm not going to train that way, one, Akim. You, you have to know what you're going to get. I'm going to share with them that evangelism is going to be an overflow. And she said, what do you mean by evangelism is going to be an overflow? And I explained to her. Now, I'm going to share with you guys on the video that evangelism is going to be an overflow of your joy, of your salvation. And before you can, you, there's no point, there's no point crafting like this nifty, super happening, tight three-minute testimony if there is no joy in your salvation. And then you have just memorized it by rote. And you're just going to go there, go scanning through people just like, like, like a vampire looking for a target. Like, ah, you know, and you just, you just become the first person you find and say, oh, I want to share with you my salvation story. Not relevant, one, huh? not relevant. We just like find the first person and, like, <laughs> and then we inject our three-minute story into their bloodstream and we hope that they receive Jesus. And I told them, Kim, I ain't going to do that, okay? I'm going to share with them that first... Go back into your closet and look at your life and look like Deuteronomy, like what's happening here. Now, do you remember your salvation? Do you remember your exodus out of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son? Do you remember that? If you don't remember that, don't worry about evangelism yet. 
Remember and rekindle the joy of your salvation. As the King David said in his famous psalm, O oh Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation. Oh, church, if every single one of us go back into our closets and just drink again the sweet waters of the day we were saved and have the joy of our salvation return back to us, we don't need evangelism training. You go out and it will overflow from you. Naturally, it will overflow from you. And that's the kind of evangelism we wish we could see in SIBKL. Kim said, Fergus, I knew you are the right guy. I'm so happy you're going to do it this way. And you know what? You know where we get that thinking from? Deuteronomy. Why are you doing this? Because once we were slaves in Egypt and we were about to die. Generations, 400 years we were slaves in Egypt. And that's my story, church. What's your story? Don't rehearse your story. Reenact your story. Go back. Relive your story. Don't rehearse it as if you're an actor. You're not an actor. You're a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. Go back, reenact your story and relive the joy of the first flush of love with Jesus. And then just spill over into anyone you see. And that's okay. So that when your sons and daughters ask you, why do we do it this way? You have a story to tell. Amen? Because you know what, church? The alternative is no good. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. That's what Josh McDowell famously said. And you want to present the rules like, oh, this is the rules of this is why we have been given the laws so that you must follow this rule so you don't die. Because let me show you the end of Deuteronomy. There are a lot of curses there. You don't want to fall upon these curses. So, hey, you're going to see all those curses. Huh? You're going to make peace with those curses at the end of Deuteronomy. Huh? You make the wrong peace with it. And you, the lesson you learn is that if I don't follow the word of God, I die or... Then you're learning the wrong thing. The thing you need to learn is 6 verse 20 to 25. That you follow because you love Him. You follow because He saved you. And out of His saving of you, you're so thankful that that, that, that love and affection just spills over into law-keeping, if you can put it that way. It spills over into obedience for God. Amen? And now we move into the third movement, the third pattern in, in Deuteronomy. Chapter, th the, not chapter 3, the middle section. There is light coming out from the law. The law was to be Yahweh's witness to the nations. Let me show you, right? The whole middle section is a section of the laws, right? I showed you just now that there will be laws on worship, laws on leaders, laws on community life. Now, before I click on any further, I want to say a few things about the law. Most of us, I dare say all of us, approach the laws of the Old Testament backwards. We came to know Jesus as our Saviour first. And then from the Gospels, we kind of spilled over and started reading the epistles that Paul wrote. We probably read the epistle written to Romans and then started thinking that, hey, there is this thing called the law and it's a little bit tricky. Apparently, this law leads you to death. And then you're going to read Galatians and you're going to say, this law, this law is not, not going to bring you salvation. This law is going to lead you to death. Law-keeping, all this strict law-keeping. No, you don't want to do this. You want to live in the law of the spirit of life. Romans chapter 8, the law of the spirit of life is going to set you free. 
And you go like, oh, okay, okay, I'm a young Christian, I'm encountering this, there's this thing, check, mental check, there's this thing called the law, and the law is no good. And if you're a young Christian, like I was a young Christian once, and I, 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 I encountered the law through the writings of Paul. And it wasn't a very flattering picture of the law, if I must be honest. It was a warning about how the law is inadequate to save. And then we slowly track our way back into the Old Testament. And then we see King David saying, oh, the law is perfect in every way. I lie in, um, in bed at night just meditating on your law. It's so good, I can't even sleep. And we're like, huh? Huh? Eh? Eh? I don't get it. Bible, why you like that? Why you do this to me, right? And we don't understand. And so we, we, we kind of like <laughs> ignore it. Like this whole thing is too confusing. I don't want to look at it. I just want to, I just thank Jesus that I'm safe. And then, and then you just move along. Now, church, that, that's one way to do it. And it's an imperfect coping mechanism. And if, you're, if that's been your coping mechanism all this while, it's okay. But I want to give you an alternative coping mechanism today. Church, if you've ever been confused by what is the role of the law, I want to help you out. As a church, we are going to read Deuteronomy. I expect you to read Deuteronomy eh? this, this year. You read it at least once, true. And if you are a woman, you're going to read laws about women in the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm going to warn you, you're not going to be very impressed. Not very woke. This loss of Deuteronomy. And so, my friends, if you are reading a lot of current literature from other countries and you are steeped in, say, let's just say CRT, and then you're going you're gonna to read laws about slavery and you're not going to be very impressed. Well, maybe you'll be a bit impressed, but maybe not much because you're still going to say, uh, they are not repudiating slavery. They are not saying it's wrong. I would have liked my Bible to say that slavery is wrong. And then you're going to say, how is this law so perfect? And why is David up all night meditating on stuff like this? So my friends, I don't want you to be stumbled by the law. You're going to get into the middle section of Deuteronomy. It's okay. I want to take the burden off you. And I want to help you to understand the place of the law in the life of Israel in 1,500, years before Jesus. Now, laws are practical things. Laws are given to people to govern their daily lives. And so the laws given by God to Moses, were laws given to a community for 1,500, years before Christ. And he gave it to them, and that law was stunning. You have to understand, my friends, they spent 400 years as slaves in a foreign land. They are not a people. They have no literature. They have no culture. They have no songs, they have no arts, they have no mu music, they have no dance, they have nothing. They are just a slave nation fumbling around looking to become a civilization again. And all they have are their memories handed to them as stories. 
And this law is going to be the written code that makes them a civilization again. This law is going to help them become a people. Once you were not a people, but now you have become a people. I made you into a civilized people group all over again. And I'm going to start by giving you boundaries on how you guys in your day and age are going to operate and live in harmony and eventually, through law-keeping, become a light to all the nations around you. And it was upon this rock, it was upon this foundation that David lay awake all night saying, wow, wow, what a stark difference compared to the nations all around Israel. Because outside of their, of their boundaries was lawlessness. Outside of their boundaries were nations that were routinely sacrificing their children. Human sacrifice was considered fairly normal among the Canaanite tribes. Certainly, sacrificing your children for the sake of creating some kind of, I don't know, um, wager, uh, uh, gain some kind of spiritual superiority. We know at least of one story where Canaanite kings sacrificed their own children to win wars, and that was considered acceptable behavior. And so that's the, kind of, that's the kind of landscape right outside their doorstep. God gives them a law that sets them apart. And it's not fair to the Deuteronomic laws. It's not fair to the Mosaic laws for us to look back upon them and say, why so kuno wana? If I may put it this way, the laws given by God to Moses were like a scaffolding. They're like scaffolding upon which... God can build and God can use to take generations after them of law-keeping and refine it because the law was not meant to be a dead law. The law was meant to be a living law, living in their hearts, right? Written on where? Their frontlets of their eyes, on their hands, on their doorposts. It's part of daily living so that the law, the written code, is constantly engaging with the human being. And so as it engages with the human being, that the human beings are seeing the heart and the purpose and, the, and, the, and the, the motivation of God, His deep will coming out from inside the law, His will is coming out. You see His heart. Can you see the heart of God in the laws that you are going to see? That's the challenge. And so my friends, I don't want you to be stumbled by the law. To be stumbled by this law, it's like looking back at the ancient wheels, you know, those, those, the, the first wheel made out of stone, right? and it's like bumpy all around the edges, and you're going to say like, wow, why so, why so crude, huh? all these wheels from history books? And you're going to say, hey, my friends, if they didn't invent that wheel, we wouldn't have the wheels we have today. We wouldn't have the technology we have today. And so, my friends, can I challenge you that all of British common law, that Malaysian law is founded on today, that American case law is founded upon today, is built out of the foundations of the Mosaic law. And so we have a lot to thank for this scaffolding that God gave because through this, God helped the people of God to orient themselves as a people who have different standards. I want to show you some of the different standards. He gave laws about debts and slavery. 
saying that every seven years, I will give you a year called the Sabbath. And on that Sabbath year, you will absolve all debts. What? But I just picked up this debt on the six and a half year war. Wow, Rugi, right? I pick up this debt on the six and a half year. I learned, like this six year, I don't want to lend anybody. I don't want to waste it. Oh. No, no, Deuteronomy says. Even if it's the sixth year, lend because God will repay you. And on the seventh year, if the fellow couldn't pay you back, absolve his debt. Why? Because God in Deuteronomy is always looking out for the weak and the vulnerable. All slaves were to be set free so that every seven years there's a hard reset so that the rich cannot keep getting richer and the poor cannot keep getting more enslaved to the rich who are getting richer. That's the heart of the Mosaic Law. And look at this one. Loan interest. Do not charge interest to your fellow countrymen. They're going to say, ah, wow, so thorough, they can charge interest to foreigners, right? But at least among your own, you don't want to know why? You don't know why? Because you and your brothers were all slaves together in Egypt. Why are you charging each other interest? You've tasted the interest that the Egyptians charged on you. Why you want to charge interest upon each other? Don't. No charging of interest. By the way, this is not, this is not equivalent to the banking uh, that we have today that is so complex and all the leveraging is like so complex. This is not that kind. In all likelihood, right, if I need to borrow something, I'm a farmer and I need to borrow some money to buy seed. And I need to put that seed in the ground. If not, botia, right? And so, if I need to borrow something, then, then God's saying, don't you dare charge your fellow brother interest because he needs to plant seeds in the ground. And by the way, no collaterals. You want to take a collateral? Likelihood, this farmer's going to give you his cloak. And before sunset, before the night falls and it gets cold, you better return his cloak back to him. What? I can't keep his cloak. What kind of collateral is this? By sunset, I have to return the collateral. It's hardly any collateral at all. God says, yeah. Because if the night is cold and he cries out to me out of his coldness and you are holding on to his cloak, I'll find you, man. Why? But God, how do I then make sure that He will return my, 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 my lending? You don't. And if He doesn't return your lending, fine, I will repay you. But you better have compassion on this person who borrowed from you. So what is God saying? Compassion and kindness is more important than you getting back your lending. Wow, why? I will repay you your lending, but what I want from you is compassion, not justice. Mercy, not justice. From the very start, he wants mercy, not justice. Runaway slaves. Man, I was comparing this. Now, to be fair, if you, if you are going to assess the laws of Moses against anything, don't compare it to today's laws. It's not fair. It's not, it's not comparing it, uh, 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 apples to apples. You want to compare it, compare it to the laws that were contemporaneous to its day. So uh, if, if some of you may be aware, the, the Code of Hammurabi, 1,000 years before the Mosaic Law, quite a stunning piece of work as well. Okay, so I don't want to understate it because I've read some biblical scholars, they really try to put it down just to make the Mosaic Law look better. In, 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 all, in all frankness, that's quite a stunning piece of work and I believe that in God's wisdom, He's put some of His own heart into that. Maybe through Abraham, uh, uh, who was there in the same uh, uh, land of Ur of the Chaldeans, maybe through some other way, okay? Now, I'm not here to speculate on that, but there is one piece of law in the Code of Hammurabi uh, that says that if, you, if, a, if an escaped slave comes into your house, you have to declare this slave in the public square. 
And why are slaves escaping, uh, by the way? You all know why slaves escape, right? The same, way, right, the same reason why maids escape us sometimes, right? Is because the living conditions are not very good and we are a little harsh on them. And that's the same reason why slaves escape. Abuse from masters. And the Mosaic law says something else. It doesn't always say something. There are many ways in which it's kind of, kind of like comparable to the Code of Hammurabi. But in this way, I'm like, wow! Look at slave rights! Any uh, escaping slave runs into your home, you have to give them asylum. Don't you dare return them to their abusive masters. If you ab- return them to your abusive masters, we'll kill you. That's the law. Really? I have to offer safe asylum for someone else's? Yes, you do. Why? Because the laws that Moses gives through God, from God, are going to protect the weakest people around you, so even slaves have rights. What else? Cities of refuge. If you accidentally kill someone, you have a place because they had a comparison law, a comparable law that gives, allows you to, to exact vengeance, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But in case you're scared and you, the killing was, not, was accidental and you think, die already, they're going to come for me, and it's not pure law of the jungle, there are cities in this jungle that you can run into for safe refuge and no one can come in to kill you. And then there are some protections for women. So a husband who falsely accuses their wife of misconduct and is proven to be wrong must be taken out to the public square, beaten, and their fine is a third of a year's wages. I calculated a third of a year's wages. They actually give you the number of shekels of silver that they have to give. And I tried my best to find out the, how much people earn in terms of shekels, and then it's about a third. Prisoner of war taken as wives. Now, in other cultures, you can just take anything you like. And women were not just property, but they were property with absolutely no rights. Nothing governing that. Prisoner of war, if you want to take a wife, you have to give her one month for mourning. Now, you might be not impressed with that. Like, what? But you're still saying you can. And yes, they're still saying they can. So don't get stumbled by that. Okay, like I said, it's a scaffolding upon which the, we have the laws we have today. By the way, if you're a woman and you're finding this like slightly like, well, by the way, the, the common law of the West only started acknowledging rape as being a crime against the woman, not a crime against the man's property. In 1600, it took extremely long for women to be acknowledged as people for their own right even in the Western world. So let's not like take the Western law today and say like, wow, this one's so good, how come this one's so bad? Scaffolding and then building and building until we have the laws we have today for the needs of today. Now, I'm going to end. Because this law is supposed to be a light to the world. It was not supposed to be a thing for themselves. As Isaiah 49 says later, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up tribes for Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you, in other words, you don't exist for yourself. You exist. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In other words, the law that I'm giving you is going to, if I may use today's parlance, the law that I'm going to give you is going to spoil market. Because the law I'm going to give you is going to make everybody else's laws about slavery, everybody else's laws about women, everybody else's laws about trading, everybody else's laws about borrowing, 
pale in comparison because I'm going to show you my heart. I'm going to show you my love for the weakest among you. And from that, I'm going to show you that the book of Deuteronomy is going to give you the platform to build a civilization, a whole foundation to build a people so that you can look back and find liberty out of the lessons of the past. Find obedience that comes from the overflow of the joy of your salvation story. And you will be a light to all the nations around you. And with that, we come to the very end of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28, Moses lays out all the blessings if they obey. Deuteronomy 28 as well. He lays out all the curses for disobedience. And by the way, there is a lot more curses than blessings. Way more. And they're lurid. They're terrible. If you read them, you will, you will f close to faint. And then he lays out in 29 and 30, choose life or choose death. And you'll hear Pastor Chu share more about this tomorrow. And then he appoints Joshua as his successor and God very funny, huh? after laying all this out, he tells Moses, guess what? After all of these things you're telling them, they are still going to rebel. Wow, this is Isaiah 6. I tell you all these things, go, go, go share to the people, but you know what? They will ever be hearing and they will never listen. Wow, <laughs> sure, I'm going to do this, I'm going to fail. Yes, they're still going to fail. But you know what? I'm going to write you a song. You're going to write them a song and this song is going to be a witness to them. There's a name for this song. The name for this song is We Don't Talk About Deuteron. No, no, no. No, I'm kidding. The name of this <laughs> the name of this song is the song of Moses. And if you read it, if you read this song, it's not a beautiful lyrical song. It's a song laying out for them what's going to happen when and if they disobey. And then Moses climbs up Mount Nebo and he dies. And somewhere in the middle of all this, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says this, The Lord will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love Him. So that you may love Him. Circumcise so that. So that you may love Him. Because uncircumcised hearts will not love Him. Uncircumcised hearts will not follow Him. So that you can love Him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength so that Shema Yisrael can happen in your midst. Why? How? Circumcise your hearts. And then Israel is going to go and they're going to live and they're going to toggle between obedience and disobedience. And then many years later, when the nation of Israel is on the ropes, falling, tottering on its weak legs, He's going to send Jeremiah to them and he's going to say, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares Yahweh. I will put my law in their minds and write my law on their hearts so that the law no longer is upon tablets of stone. Their law is upon hearts of flesh. He's saying the same thing. I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to put my law, obedience upon your heart and I will be their God and they will be my people. And still, God's people tottering on the ropes of obedience and disobedience He's going to get banished and exiled from their land. And in a foreign land, He's going to send them Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is going to say to them, I will give you, says Yahweh, a new heart. And I will put 
a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone because I wrote a new law on your heart and you put that, you turn that into a tablet of stone, not a heart of flesh. And I'm going to take that heart of stone and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you and move you. My spirit is going to move you to follow my decrees. You see that, my friends? The law, there is no law keeping outside of obedient, joyful, loving, spirit-filled, loving of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Word made flesh. And then still, still they swung, errors come in pairs, right? They swung to the opposite end and turned the law into a legalism culture. And then Jesus comes and says, you know what's the law? The law is to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second, like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law, the whole middle part of Deuteronomy and all the prophets hang on these two commandments, my friends. This same Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Oh, open up my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Blessed are the pure, circumcised in heart. They will see God in the law. Because those who are not circumcised in their heart see the law and they see rules. But those who are circumcised in their hearts, those who have been cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus, look into the law and they see God set apart from all the nations around them. Church, same thing today. For the next five months, we're going to be camping out in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, you're going to see the law. Let your eyes be circumcised and let your hearts be circumcised so that when you look upon the law, you will see God and you will say, Lord, you are everything to me, more than gold, more than silver, more than rules, more than, than, than the fear of getting spanked. Lord, you are everything to me. Oh, your love is greater. Oh, your mercy is deeper. Oh, your grace is wider. Oh, how I love my God. And then, every day when you sing this song, you will be just like David, lying awake at night saying, Oh, how I love your Lord. So beautiful. Because what? I see past the rules. I see the God who gave the rules. Amen. Father, return to us the joy of our salvation. Oh Lord, our hearts are open right now. Remind us, rem cause us to remember as we look back, Lord God. Remind us the great story that you gave us. The story of how once upon a time, once upon a time, we were caught in darkness, deep darkness, lostness, self-absorption, brokenness, failures, addictions. We were caught in sin, separation, isolation. We were caught in physical ailment, certain death. And your hand reached into that dark place of death and you lifted us out of miry clay. You set our feet upon a rock. You lifted us out of slavery and oppression and you gave us a territory to call our own 
you made us a people again and you gave us boundaries physical boundaries so that we know the limits and moral boundaries so that we know also other kinds of limits and these limits are a light not just to the nations these limits are a light unto us and so I will say your law is a light and my salvation and I will walk every day to follow your ways all the days of our lives Jesus you have my full allegiance I am yours the Lord bless you the Lord keep you the Lord make His face to shine upon you and by that I mean the Lord notices you the Lord sees you the Lord acknowledges you He sees you in the place you are at the Lord turn His countenance toward you and speaks peace over you Shalom and all of God's people shout aloud Amen Amen church let's give God a praise let's give God a praise